So Dustin got us started on this whole thing with the weird sci-fi crimes of the future movie. Yes. And then Dalton has continued with a very on-brand pick of RRR. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a big part of what we do when we, we get to do these like year-in-review picks is... What's we the most for... on-brand movie that we missed? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I this is like, I'm, it's a dude's rock movie. It's an action epic. It's a musical. Come on. Yeah, I, I mentioned in a text that it's uh, Zack Snyder and Quentin Tarantino made an Austin Power. Yeah. <laughs> That that yeah, <laughs> they. I'll tell you what. SS Raj Muli does have Zack Snyder's number when it comes to speed that, ramping. Did you yeah. see? See? Did you see? See? Did you see SS Raj Muli's uh, sight and sound ballot? I did. I retweeted it. I did. I, yeah. did, I did not. see Let's it. look at it real quick. Do share because I do can share. find it pretty. Quickly. It's a pretty good one. All right. Once this feed loads, I'm going to find it. There it is. All right. So he nominated for the sight and sounds best films of all time ballot. Uh, Forrest Gump, Robert Zemeckis. Uh, Maya Bazar, uh, Ready. I'm not familiar with that one. I'm not familiar with that. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark from Spielberg. I've Kung seen Fu it. Panda, Aladdin, Braveheart, Apocalypto, <laughs> Ben Herb. <laughs> <laughs> forgot about Apocalypto. It's, bra- it's Braveheart and Apocalypto back to back. Ben Hur, Django Unchained, The Lion King. All of those movies are present in RRR. You know, one, they're they're all there, yeah. 150 That movie is those movies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> with with the, the, exce- the thing. exception of the one none of us know about. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, it might be. If he, I would expect him to say something like Sholay, you know, is what I expected, because I, I thought about Sholay a little bit watching it. Maya Bazar is a 1957 Indian epic Hindu mythological film. Yep, checks yeah, out. Yeah, it checks yeah. out. Okay. Yep. Well, yeah. He just, he just threw it in a blender and made it work uh, that's the thing that's been so fun about the director's lists is is getting to see everybody's taste mm-hmm. uh, it's very fun yeah it's great i liked well, uh, miller's list and that's how we know the sight and sound thing doesn't make any sense but that's a, another conversation for later but anyway hello everybody welcome again to the good trash Undercast. we gather around the table we discuss the films you'll never discuss in film size scores except for we're doing the month of december thing that we do in which we are picking up movies that we did not get to see that are on brand for us and as arthur said last time i did crimes of the future this time dalton's doing r r r or r r r or r we're not sure how to say it best um well it's an abbreviation for rise revolt rise roar revolt in english roar yeah Roar. Roar like a tiger. Checks out. Perhaps a Bengal tiger. That also checks out. Well, and of course, many listeners probably are already aware of this, but it it is originally an abbreviation for uh, uh, Ramshara, Rajmuli, uh, and Rama Rao. The the two act two leads and, and our director and the director I love yeah. that I just love that like the working title was isn't it cool these three dudes are gonna make a movie together and mm-hmm. they just stuck with the working title <laughs> it's fun I love it. There, that sums up this movie. Th- there's in there's, a lot of ways. Yeah, first, first idea, so best idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in case you're tuning into the Good Trash Genrecast for the very first time, dear listener, well, welcome. We're glad to see you here and talking about this movie with you. What we ordinarily do here is film analysis, not film review. We'll probably spend more time on review this week as we did last week than we normally do, since these are newer films. However, we do not make a review show. No, no, we make an analysis show, and that does mean that we're going to have to eventually spoil the film in order to make our analytical points stick if they ever and therefore uh we're going to warn you at the first top part of the show here to let you know that we'll have a synopsis which will be spoiler free we'll have thumbs up thumbs down reviews which will be like what you read in the paper or a website and then we'll move to which is more likely yes and then we'll move to a little game called expanding the syllabus which might spoil this film a little but more likely will spoil other films of its ilk but in spoiling those films of its ilk you might find it of which ilk it is and therefore might find yourself vaguely spoiled and then finally we get down to business and that business will be analysis and that's when all spoiler bets are off so you understand our progress oh spoiler i think you've done a great job of explaining this spoiler <laughs> progression that's gonna unfold yeah I, I saw you looking at me for approval at one point i was like no yeah, yeah. go go go, go. You're, you're killing it <laughs> I, I, I need affirmation at all times so with all of that i think arthur has prepared a syllabus to delight us um do so how about a time. synopsis first uh, what did i say you syllabus. said a syllabus I He's looking at my notes a, a and getting distracted. We have a silly synopsis. Yeah, that thing. Sillynopsis. Sillynopsis. Set during the British rule of 1920s India, RRR sees the protector beam on an undercover mission to find a child from his home village. While in Delhi, he befriends Ram, and the two become as close as brothers. Ram is also undercover, and his target is none other 
than his new best friend. It's point break, guys. It's point break! <laughs> What's set in the British Raj? Are you fucking kidding me? <sighs> what a film. <sighs> oh, boy. All right, well, um, with that then, um, I assume, since, you know, Dalton picked it because he hadn't seen it, so I know he hasn't. Arthur, I assume you did not get a chance to catch this either. I did not. So, um, well, picker of the film, I believe you get uh, privilege of first... Review, go. I okay. don't know what I'm trying to say. Well, I, I'll go first. Yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, I was going to make you go first since you made Arthur go first last week when you were the film picker. <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll jump on this grenade. Happily. This film rules. Uh, believe the hype. Everything you've heard <laughs> is true. I know, I know people can't look. I know people can't shut up about this movie. They've been talking about it since March. All over the planet, people have been talking about it since March. And guess what? They're right. Did you know this became the highest grossing uh, foreign film in Japan, like, right away? Mm. Totally makes sense. This has got anime sensibilities all over it. Yeah, it does. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, checks out. Big time anime sensibilities going on in Tollywood, I guess. Uh, That's, if nothing else, that's what is fun when a film, like, breaks out like this. Um, The Indian film industry is huge. It has not one, but two Tollywoods, I think, maybe even three. Uh, But just to, like, give you some sense of like the width and breadth of indian cinema it's huge yeah it's bigger than american cinema there's just more of it they're just making more movies period so it is it is one of those world cinemas that i think people are scared to try to get into i know i'm intimidated by it and so for this film to like break out in such a big way is just like a nice excuse to get to sample you know somebody else's film culture just to get a a taste of what it's like and they're just doing it better in tollywood guys i don't know what to tell you (laughs) Uh, there is no better special effect than a wide shot of somebody going ham with the dance moves. You just, you can't beat it. There's a reason that they couldn't stop making dance movies in the forties when they had Gene Kelly. Uh, and there's a reason that Indian films are full with dance because their actors can dance. If our actors could dance, we'd have more dancing in our movies. I don't know what to tell you. Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone are the only ones. Apparently. I don't don't know. I guess they're the only working actors that know how to dance. Jason Siegel kind of. Oh uh, yeah, I guess. Well, and then uh, of course, Christopher Walken. Um, Walken, Walken can dance. Trained to dance. Sam Rockwell. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, well that's why he played Bob Fosse. Mm. Oh, fair yeah, enough. He yeah. dances in every. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. there's a little Rockwell dancing in most of his movies. Mm, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just I don't know. This this film's got it all. Uh, it's got crisp, the crispest, cleanest action, and uh, that makes sense because we all know that fight choreography is just like hyper butch dancing, uh, and both choreographies look as uh, just equally uh, on par with each other. Neither is suffering. And that, that was kind of like one concern I have is like, well, in a film with this much fighting and this much dancing, like is one going to overtake the other? No, not at all. They both look great and they both look like each other. Uh, it's, it's incredible. Everything in here is the biggest and the most that it could possibly be. And that is another fun aspect of, of Tollywood. And that, as my for my research, is, is kind of a hallmark of, of Tollywood movies is they are all bigger and they're even bigger than Bollywood movies. That's sort of their deal is everything's cranked up to 12. Uh, and yeah, when you you put your hero in a cage and he keeps working out and they put him in a smaller cage and he keeps working out. Come on. That's when you know the movie's succeeding. And that's, I don't know, this this just, at 40 minutes in, you get that opening RRR splash, and you you didn't realize you were waiting for it, and you, you had no idea how energized you were going to be by the title splash, but it happens, and uh, then you're just locked in for the next two hours and 20 minutes. I only watched this in two halves because I started it way too late in the evening. Mm-hmm. Um, I absolutely would have watched this in one go if I had started earlier in the day. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a great time with the movies. Uh, there's so much to go gaga for, whether it's the meat cutes and romantic comedy bits, whether it's just how evil all the British people are. God, they're all so evil. Mm-hmm. I love it. They couldn't be more evil. <laughs> it's perfect. And, and how hunky our hunks are. We just really do have two incredible leading men here. Uh, and they absolutely are turning in lightning performances uh just i you, i can't pick who's my favorite because they're both so good uh what about you guys i'm so excited to hear your thoughts on this uh arthur 
Yeah, I, I, I don't know, man. The, uh, a guy's flat picks up a motorcycle and hits another guy with it. I don't know what you want from me. He threw a leopard uh, at another guy. Yeah, I mean, it's insanity. Uh, it, it is a cartoon come to life in the best ways possible. Uh, there are extended uh, professional wrestling sequences where people are just getting chokeslammed and suplexed and body slammed, and, and, and there's a, a, a deer stabbing a guy. Uh, uh, this is the Anchorman uh, uh, alley battle between newscasters for for three hours uh, where absurd things are happening. Uh, Brick stabbed a guy, right, um, with a trident. I, I Man, what a movie. Uh, they just don't make them like this uh, in the States, and that's a shame uh, because it is so silly and so over the top and so absurd, and it works at every turn, I think. I, I, there's just something very refreshing about it. It, it brings the spectacle uh, to the movie. And, and I think that's what we're missing a lot, especially in our blockbusters, our tent poles, uh, everything's so samey now, you know, and, uh, especially, uh, within the house of mouse, uh, you know, that, that has house style has expanded into multiple franchises now and, and for worse, really no better at all. Um, and so it's refreshing to see something like this that is so vibrant and so joyous and so different. And so, uh, you know, throwing everything against the wall to see what sticks. Uh, you know, Ryan Bear, uh, you know, just flat foot jumps a, uh, a a security fence, a barbed wire security fence, and takes on hundreds of people. <laughs> Literally like 500 guys. Gets busted in the head with a rock, and that just cranks him to 11. And he continues to go to work. It's insane. <laughs> And it's shot with such clarity. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. It all makes sense. Location uh, yeah, makes sense. No muddy shooting. Yeah. There's no disconnect of spatial geographical dissonance. I know exactly where everyone and everything is. Uh, it's uh, there's a uh, I, I, in the back end of this movie, there's a moment where uh, we kind of got a Tower of Doom thing where one character is carrying the other character on his shoulders uh, because <laughs> of uh, what has happened to him. Uh and they do a uh, a pull up into a backflip onto a uh, spotlight watchtower, uh, and I just cheered uh, because, of course, they did, <laughs> and it made me so happy <laughs> that that worked. Uh, so the, the the pro wrestling fan in me is very happy because this is pretty much that played out. This is a pro wrestling movie, big time. Absolutely. Oh yeah, as much as it's an anime movie. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, and that's the thing. It's a cartoon. It's an anime. It's, it's pro wrestling. It's an action movie. It's a dance movie. It, there's a way in which you can't slapdash these things together and make them work. But somehow uh, our, our director here, uh, Roger Mooley, has done it very well. We were joking about, you know, that top 10 list of his, all those movies being here, and they are. And he has somehow stitched them together in such a way that works very well. It never feels tonally incoherent. No, right? and it should. It, it 100% It should not work, and it does. Yeah. And that's the wild thing about it. We we go from huge action fights and, and set pieces into a fun dance number at a party. Mm -hmm. Smooth as, as we can. And then into some harrowing uh, uh, flashback. An extended flashback sequence and it to all explain works. why our hero is so heroic. And yeah. yeah, and then you're like, yep, this makes sense. This is yeah. exactly what I needed from and this portion of the movie. And we still get some of those kind of classic cinematic tropes where the flashbacks are colored different and gradient mm -hmm, different. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense and helps keep us in line with knowing where we're at time-wise. Uh, and for a movie that's this extended with so many moving parts, that's very important. So those mm -hmm. basic filmmaking techniques really lend a hand to to making this machine run as smoothly as it does. It's uh, it's 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 three hours, uh, but it's three hours of fun, uh, mm -hmm. and it just doesn't stop. I mean, I guess it stops being fun because there are some pretty harrowing moments in it. Yeah. But there's also a lot of life and a lot of love and a lot of laughter. A lot of heart. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I cried three times, I think. Yeah, it got me. Lame. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, this movie worked on me, dude. Every moment. Every moment. It's uh, good. Dustin, what'd you think? I liked it. It's very fun. Um, it, it, man, I no, what do you want to praise the movie? I, I'm, I'm praising the movie about why I like it. Uh, I have no notes to give. Uh, it, it, it absolutely does work. And uh, the, again, the way in which 
it is bombastic in both its dancing and uh, again this sort of like music video kind of stuff with yeah. uh, the, those song sequences yeah. and then moving into these action sequences that are again just balletic and hilarious uh, but they're also you know incredibly gory and violent there is a moment when which a arrow is shot at a British soldier which does not kill the soldier because it lands through a tree and he kicks the arrow through the rest of the tree yeah, into does. the soldier yeah, he does. I, this is that kind of movie guys and and I'm I'm there for it. Um, it is uh, it's propaganda for sure, and it is revisionist history for sure, and all of those kinds of things. But it's a fun kind of what if story. Uh, I would I would assume that viewers in India would very much appreciate the sort of oh yeah these lost couple three years these historical figures and what they might have done and how they could have possibly met and fun you yeah. know what yeah these two revolutionaries never met. But, but what if they did? I mean, it's revisionist history in the way Tarantino's revisionist history. I mean, that's why Django, yeah. Django being on Rajmuli's uh, top List. 10 makes so much yeah. sense. Right, right. It's, I mean, Bastards, yeah. Django, Once Upon a Time. I mean, it's in that yeah, vein. Yeah, it's definitely mm-hmm. in that vein, for sure. And uh, yeah, it's doing that, but uh, in, in a way that is absolutely uh, adoringly in love with Indian cinema. I am not an expert in Indian cinema. I have not seen a whole lot of it. And I also find it quite intimidating because there is so stinking much uh, to see. So I, 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 I speak a little out of school as I think about it. But that being said, it's, it's really, really fascinating stuff. And uh, yeah, I just I had a good time. I mean, it's, it's a hoot of a movie and it knows exactly what it is. And uh, is playing the sort of you know anti-realist kind of game with historical figures, and that way we know it's a superhero movie. But it's better than a superhero movie because again, we care more about the heroes. We are not bored to death by origin stories. Uh, there's one flashback that does give something of an origin story, but it's three fourths through the through the film before we get that, and it's just to help us to understand why he's doing what he's doing the way he's doing it at that particular moment, which I think is an interesting turn uh, at that particular moment. But that all being said, um, and yeah, it, 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 just, it just works. It's good. It's really, really fun. It is an absolute hoot of a movie, and you're never bored. It is three hours long, and uh, the three hours is uh, an obstacle insofar as scheduling, not insofar as attention. Yeah, I dared exactly. is not always the case. I dared the listener last week to guess what we think about movie lengths. I don't know if you remember this. Yes, uh, when we when we said Crimes of the Future should be t- fifteen minutes longer, and Interstellar should have been an hour shorter. Yeah, yeah. This movie could have been. Yeah, you guessed it. Another hour long. I don't know. You're right. No, three I, hours is exactly. Yeah, I think three hours is scared the I, I, line. I think, I think he hit it. Yeah, yeah. I, was they actually it. Did, I was feeling it. They but. did nail it. Uh, but I, yeah, I just you just said it very well, Dustin. Like the the effort to give the movie your attention really never crosses your mm-hmm. mind. The yeah. movie, the movie is demanding you pay attention to it at all times yeah the 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 real question is do you have the hours in the day what is your phone doing what is your cat doing Mm -hmm. those are the real questions not really a question of whether or not it's you know too too long in the tooth or whatever so and that's definitely i think intimidating in a theater experience because Mm -hmm. then you've got to factor in commute trailers so this three-hour movie becomes a six five six hour event well and pee breaks without being able to pause so I mean that's well that doesn't factor into the extension of time, but well it, well it, it, it factors into your I mean I, I I think about the length of a movie going man if I'm gonna have to pee. how many times did you go pee during Black Panther Wakanda once did you yeah just, I don't I don't pee during movies yeah I, I have uh, a young man's bladder yeah well I I have a normal man's bladder and a I had a really big pop uh, I thought he was gonna say I have a really big prostate <laughs> which does make it hard to avoid your bladder from what I've been told. <laughs> I am unaware of my prostate size. Uh, let's move on to the next part of the show. Hey, this is a, this is a movie about bros doing bro stuff. We should be talking to each other about our prostates. That's bros. That's bros supporting bros. I, I am now in my forties. I need to start having. Well, you anyway, you're damn right. Uh, you mo- better, m- <laughs> mom. Get off my back. Uh, we're going to talk. I mean, we can't do it just me and him. We did that before you got here. It's a different energy. I want to do expanding the syllabus, Arthur. Please explain it. How do we expand the syllabus, Arthur? Yeah. Uh, first, we're going to drop trowel. And then... <laughs> <laughs> expanding the syllabus is a thought experiment wherein we, the hosts, assemble an academic course or module within a course based around the assigned viewing for the week and adjacent text from books and articles to tangentially related films and stories. Well, I'll give Dad a second here to get his composure. Why, why don't you tell me how you're going to teach this class? Uh, I, man, I, I'm going with the... Teach this class. Teach this movie. Easiest route here, uh, and that is the closer than a brother uh, bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the 
I think in buddy movies, we really kind of see two things. We see just kind of people brought together as friends. And then I think you see some films that take it a little deeper. And so I want to explore those kind of dynamics, I think. Uh, and and from just, just a regular kind of buddy comedy to something that plays a little deeper and really gets into, I think, the character and emotional elements of that. Because that's what this does and really brings those two characters together in really unique and interesting ways as as they navigate what has taken place uh, and understanding who each other really is and, and the drama that that brings forth. And uh, so I think this would just be a, a brief thing in some class. I don't know. Uh, but thematically, I, I think I'd start with Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Sure. Which, you know, uh, we, we've done on the show, but it really is that relationship of it. it doesn't seem romantic and some people have I think tried to put that lens on it uh, but I think it's just two guys who are super close and mm-hmm. know each other better than maybe some brothers do and they will follow each other to the ends of the earth and they believe in each other and trust in each other in a way that a lot of friendships don't often have uh, and so I think there's something really there uh, cl- interesting about that uh from there we would look at one that i think does have more of a queer reading we'd look at top gun and mm-hmm. we would talk about the the maverick the goose and the ice man and the character relationships and the dynamics there one of the our way. great left triangles oh of, of of cinema yes of the 80s uh we'd also take a look at a movie another movie we've done i think all of these movies most of them uh, as midnight run we talk about groden and de niro and, and the way that they sort of come together even though they don't want to, uh, and somehow are still brought together uh, in this cross-country trek uh, as De Niro tries to bring Groden in. Uh, we'd also talk about the the one that's been name-dropped already, and that's Point Break. And we'd talk Keanu and, and Swayze. And, and, and we've done it before, and we'll do it again. We've, we've talked at large about Point Break throughout the course of this show. And so... Uh, we'd finally kind of end uh, on a lighter note. We talk about "I Love You, Man." We've always talked about Jason Siegel, uh, but this is the one that kind of capitalized on the uh, occurrence of that phrase "bromance" and, and makes that the center of this movie, t- making it uh, very much a rom com, but about two guys who are just trying to be friends. Uh, but plays into those genre tropes and genre conventions of the rom com in in doing that. And so that's what we take a look at. We just kind of explore those themes, characterization. Of, of of friendships and relationships, especially masculine relationships and, and male relationships, and take a look at how that plays out kind of throughout cinema and seems to be maybe, you know, something relatively more recent. Uh, maybe try to dig deep and see if there's some older examples of things we could find, but uh, really kind of starting here in the new Hollywood and moving forward from there. Very cool, very cool. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, have you a syllabus prepared today? I sure do. Uh, This would be a class on uh, revolutionaries and post-colonial narratives. Um, I I think that that's like a really fun place to take RRR. Uh, It gives you an excuse to talk about uh, the British Raj and Indian history. Um, And I think we'd look at some pretty obvious films. You know, the oft-mentioned on this show, Battle of Algiers, which I still need to catch up with. Uh, I know, I know. Um, we'll get to it. <clears throat> a lot of movies. A lot of movies. There are a lot of movies. But a very important one to talk about, I think it is sort of like one of the ur-texts and, and post-colonial film. People bring it up all the time. Um, there's a couple of really solid, uh, if you search for it on Letterboxd, there are some pretty great uh, lists out there that people have put together of, of post-colonial films. And there's a bunch, and I haven't seen a lot of them. Uh, but I, I, I am very interested in, in expanding my, my knowledge a little bit more. Uh, we'd look at Soy Cuba, which is a film I've seen bits and pieces of, but uh, really another it's one. Long. Of, yeah, another one I want to catch all of, though. Uh, well, speaking of long, we do uh, both parts of uh, Che with Benicio Del Toro. Mm. So, yeah, we've got some long ones God going on. God bless you. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm curious. Well, I also want to look at Motorcycle Diaries with Gael Garcia Bernal. I wanted to do mm. two things about Che. I've not seen Motorcycle Diaries. I haven't seen either of them, uh, but uh, I, I know that they're both pretty well regarded guarded mm-hmm. um even though again che is like what five hours long total i, don't know. I think they're both halves or two half and a half a lifetime I think. yeah i think both halves are over two hours um we look at uh the really great uh film from 2021 judas and the black messiah um i think we take a look a little bit of a look at reservation dogs uh as far as something that doesn't have revolutionaries in it but is definitely interested in post-colonial narratives there's a couple of like really solid episodes from season two 
that uh, are dealing with uh, this in like a, a like a overt way that I think are really good. There's one where they are meeting with uh, city Indians, as they call them. Uh, <laughs> Dustin's laughing because he knows which episode I'm talking about. No, I just oh, know you the, don't. I just know city Indians. Oh, it's it's got. Um, <laughs> I grew up with country Indians. Yeah, it's got what's her name from uh, Prey. He shows up oh, as uh, okay, can't, great. Uh, Amber Mid Thunder. There mm-hmm. we go. She shows up as uh, this very hippie girl from the Bay Area yeah. <laughs> talking to them. Uh, but then there's another episode that really centers on uh, Big the uh, the. Um, Oh my god, I can't think of that actor's name, but he's he's sort of the uh, the tribal police guy that's mm. always kind of running around. I think both of those episodes from season two do a really B-I-A. good job of getting into these ideas. Um, I think the last one I wanted to mention was uh, Matty Diop's Atlantics from a couple of years ago. I know people really like that film, mm. and it's came up in a couple of post-colonial lists that I looked at. Um, <clears throat> so I don't know if these would be... I, I think this would probably be a film studies class. I think it would be that would be the easier way to take it. You'd have to talk more real life history than you could cover. Mm-hmm. I think if you did this as anything other than a film studies course, because we're talking about three, at least three entirely different countries and cultures. Uh, we're looking at Cuba, the United States and India, obviously is three different places that have had revolutionary struggles. Um, and, uh, you know, we'd have to get into the background on all three of those revolutionary struggles. And uh, that would take a while. So I think this is, would work best as a film studies class. But I think all of these films are, you know, especially the ones like Che and Motorcycle Diaries and RRR and Judas and the Black Messiah, these biopic movies, we get to look at like the different flavors of biopic that you can make about a revolutionary figure. You can kind of talk about how, how do we get to better know these these titans of, of human history? Like how, how do you get to know the psychology of somebody that did something that few other people were willing or able to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it could be a really interesting class. What about you, Dustin? How would you teach RRR? I think I would teach it in the context of revisionist history. And thinking about these sort of uh, fantastic, fantastical, imaginary versions of uh, worlds that never were, but within uh, with 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 some gestures towards uh, acknowledging real life events. And so, RRR again; these are two real life characters who it, we are aware um, have a, a sort of a gap in their in their historical biographies. And so, uh, we're writing into this story here, which is obviously high fantasy. It, it, it's obviously not real. Uh, they're they're making an effort to make sure that we understand this is all made up by the style of the movie because impossible. So there's there's something going on there. But I think about um, Inglorious Bastards as an interesting uh, pair with this mm-hmm. as well from Quentin Tarantino. In which we have a World War II that ends with Hitler being killed by a Jewish set of commandos uh, from the United States, uh, which uh, functions in the sort of cathartic revenge kind of mode there. Uh, rather than, again, it seems like RRR is trying to lionize these particular heroes and mythologize them in a way that's really kind of intentional mythologizing uh, here. This is more of what if we could get more satisfactory even with Hitler uh, for the Holocaust. And so rather than having him kill himself in a bunker, we have uh, him shot to death in a movie theater. Eli Roth empties a machine gun clip into his face. Which is a a scene, a moment that it will stick with me forever. Uh, And I I think that's kind of interesting. And so that's another, it's a different kind of reimagining of history than RRR. And then uh, a third kind of reimagining of history, which is uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's Hamilton, Mm. in which uh, you see... Casting and other sort of anti-realist sort of shifts, you know, the fact it's a musical, uh, is is one of those shifts that are going on there. But generally speaking, that a lot of it is in idioms and in trappings that generally follow the flow of the historical events. There are some adjustments of history for narrative and dramatic purposes, it seems, uh, in there. And it, again, I'm not super, super familiar with Hamilton and haven't, you know, done all the sort of 18th century background to make sure I have all my dots connected here but um but my understanding is for the most part it's pretty historically close to mm. the events but I, th- I know people have quibbles even with the Chernow biography i mm-hmm. you know people think that he's a little too nice to hamilton sure and again the, but the, i mean history is always going to be interpretation <clears throat> sure and that's just sort of the nature of history as a project and so I, I think these movies are interesting because they're 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 taking different sort of approaches uh like uh, rrr uh hamilton d- definitely gestures towards other um, media specific 
kind of tropes, you know, the musical number, the soliloquy, those kinds of things, in the same way that we have these dance numbers and we have uh, these sort of hyper-kinetic action sequences uh, using lots of CGI and whatnot at the front end of, um, of RRR. And then uh, juxtapose them again once it, uh, the, the difference in Quentin Tarantino's sort of alternative history. And the question that I would want to pose to the class, and I don't have answers for, would be questions like, Why? Do we want to remember this differently? Why is this difference in remembrance successful? Why isn't it successful? What is it about holding two different versions of a story in one's mind that one finds pleasurable or one finds disconcerting? And what is it about, uh, again, cinema itself that sort of lends itself to this sort of reimagining? And then the bigger sociological question is, what is it? What does it say about a culture that wants to reimagine these stories in these ways as opposed to other ways? Because there could be another version of the uh, World War II story where somebody just comes and shows up in Berlin with a set of watercolors and says, Adolf, 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 we have a mm. chance to do it again. That's a different movie. Yeah. You know, um, and that's, of course, we, no one's imagined that one. And so what is it about wanting to, again, at that time, at that place, and again, the, the films themselves are culturally bound in the moment in which they're being made, as well as they are culturally bound in the moments that they are recreating and representing. Mm-hmm. And so that interesting dialogue between various times and places and the shifting time travel that is cinema anyway uh, would be a, a fun conversation. And so I stick it in as a module in a class. I'm not sure what class it would fit in. I mean, it could fit kind of anywhere, uh, depending on the course itself. If it was more of a theoretical kind of course, we'd be reading Benjamin and uh, his uh, uh, theses on on history and uh, maybe some historiography kind of stuff that we might read uh, from um, Gomery and Allen might be an approach there in that class in a... A course just on cinematic style. We might be just talking about realism versus the anti-realism. I mean, the crack hour section. So it, it depends on where I'd be uh, and uh, where my mood was as to how I'd insert it. But it feels like a real portable kind of module that I'd use it for uh, in a in a class. So there you go, dear listener. I think your syllabus just got a little longer. And with that, I believe it's now time to get down to business. Yes, business. Well, the sun never sets on the English Empire. It, well, it never did. Unless you... Until you, it did. Until you spray Ray... Not Ray Winstone. Um, <laughs> that would be a choice. So you spray him all over the... Uh, <laughs> his his fancy wall. That's... Yeah. What an image. What uh, an image. Yeah. When you... When you... I don't know. It's just more interesting when the people you're being mean, mean to have a continuity of government. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's there's a difference between Inglorious Bastards and RRR as far as what do we look for in our sort of big mythic history movies. Well, and I, I think there's a real use to a movie like <laughs> RRR in an American audience especially because there, there's a way in which we tell history about sort of the, the great sins of empires. And when we do that... Uh, our emphasis is always on ourselves, which is wise and good. And we can talk about Native American genocide. We can talk about the institution of slavery and those kinds of things. And the way the story usually gets told, though, is that the um, the Brits were also bad but got it before we did on a lot of these issues because they emancipated slavery. And then they sort of outlawed slavery, what, a couple decades ahead of the United States in the 19th century. And so we sometimes kind of fail to remember just the horrors of what 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 went on in India up until the 1940s. Uh, I mean, quite a while into the contemporary period. And so I think it's a useful kind of reminder there of the idea of the, again, that, that theme that the sun never sets in the British Empire. But also, interestingly, fascinatingly, within, like, literature stuff. Now, I'm preparing for British literature, too, right now. I'm teaching next semester. And so some of these thoughts are on my mind. But interestingly enough... Early on, writers were reflecting on observing and seeing the real problems of these issues. And so it it is a conversation where it seems that the voices of reason, the voices of humanism, uh, the voices of equality and egalitarianism were kind of louder, it seems, in the British Empire than what I see in American literature and American documents. And we definitely have 
clearly uh, laws of people speaking out against the institution of slavery, but not really until the beginning of the 19th century, which is a little rough. Um, but in Britlet, we've got uh, we've got people who are advocating for the continued sort of um, the the uh, the empire's power throughout the world. Uh, obvious picks like Rudyard Kipling, who is uh, very very much in favor of the great game continuing to play its way out in India, and surprising ones like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and Charles Dickens of all people. Uh, I'll show you. A, a Dickens, little... you say? Dickens um, was problematic, to say the very least, uh, in, in, in his idea of race relations. Um, despite all of his humanism and sort of uh, uh, attitudes of, of towards the poor. A racist Englishman, who would have guessed? I, I know, shocking. <laughs> shocking, shocking, shocking there. But we've got people like Joseph Conrad, very early on, writing Heart of Darkness as sort of this sort of post-colonial, proto-post-colonial novel. And so I, I, I think it's, it's a good way to sort of remind us that history is sort of full of this kind of ugliness. Now, that being said, the film is a little one-dimensional in terms of its villains. Their mustache They're twirl- the most evil they could possibly be. Correct. Yeah, yeah. The, the, this English English bullet made in English factory, English metals, blah, 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 blah. I, I like how evil they are, though. I, think I do, too. It suits the tone of the film for them to be snidely whiplash, you know? Yeah. Because, oh, we can't have them with depth. I mean, yeah. they have to be flat. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Beam and Raju are kind of flat. They are. They, yeah. they are as heroic as they could possibly be. So the villains have to be as evil as they could possibly be. Uh, I don't think we need to get into the complexities of colonialism. I think we can rightly say it's bad mm-hmm. and a no-no. And imperialism does nothing but spread uh, blood and misery uh, across the human population. Uh, so uh, I think it's useful. I, again, I, especially for Western audiences, it's instructive to look at films like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not a ton of movies that have both this sort of this look at the evils of history, that's a weird way to put it, but the, the, the darkness that is Western history, especially, uh, to look at it, but also be a crowd-pleasing adventure film, I think is really useful. Mm-hmm. It, it allows people to engage with some ideas that they might not be able to engage with in like a more serious context. I don't know. I think that there's value there. Absolutely, I, I totally agree. Um, and I and I think the film is doing a lot of a lot of good in those ways because they are flat. I mean, it does sort of give us an air of complexity. The the ways in which you have to sort of make compromises and choices and know when to cut bait and when to fish when you're running a revolution. And so I, I think Rom's story of how he is willing to do these kind of terrible things for a while because he is a he's like Agreed a triple he's like a triple triple double agent. Um, because he's not only a double agent pretending to be the man he's pretending to be in order to find the guy, he's also a double agent pretending to be a loyal police officer so he can get the guns to fund the revolution. Yeah, Raji's wearing a lot of hats. Yeah, yeah, a, a lot of hats. And so, which is fine. Um, and again, I think it's interesting that he sort of has those additional layers there. Uh, and, and there really isn't time to give that. I mean, we do have our one British character, the sort of love interest for Beam. Ginny, the one uh, nice, the, the one nice white lady. The, yeah, the one yeah, nice white lady. Yeah, um, which is, which is great. Uh, uh, you know, one of the many archetypes in, in this film, uh, mm-hmm. one of the archetypes in film history that exists, the nice white lady. Yeah, the, the, the one sympathetic person who sees the humanity of others despite yeah. race or whatever, and which is great. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of that. I was thinking a lot about, and so I like this movie. I, I like this movie a lot. I, I'm a big fan of this movie. Uh, yeah, but, but I, you're prefacing something. I'm, I'm prefacing something, which is one of those moral questions I sometimes ask. Uh, there's a lot of argument made in the 50s from Bazan and others about how realism is a more ethical way to make film mm-hmm. and that by making film in an anti-realist way that uh, the mode of manipulation and you know there's there's a lot of problems that can sort of come up when one gets more formalist in the style this is clearly hyper formalist it's not making much striving towards realism at all and it makes the violence so cool it does make the violence really cool, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And is that okay? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay, why? Tell me why. Because it's cool. I Because there is only... <laughs> I don't you want. Do not challenge me. Well, uh, the, 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 it's sort of the question... Because I think Go ahead. the harrowing moments still work. When uh, Mali's mother gets clubbed upside the head... Man. It It's harrowing. And I think like the film's what five minutes into the movie, yeah. Uh, but even when uh, Rom's entire family is you know 
eradicated in front of his eyes. Mm -hmm. The film knows, not knows, but Julie somehow is able to make the serious violence effective when it needs to be. Well, it only only makes the serious violence effective when it's uh, committed against Indians. He doesn't really, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't play it with the same level of sympathy. When, when again, bad people die. I, 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 I feel glorious, right? I mean, it's the same thing. It is the same thing as glorious. I'm asking the same moral question. Yeah, here. sure. Is, is is at what point are we sort of you know hedging our bets of of engaging in a glorification of heinous violence? I would say that Adolf Hitler has been dead for about a hundred years. Correct, and. The House of Windsor remains, and I think that's the difference, honestly. And I know that's maybe like a too glib way to talk about it, but that's the power system that was in place to allow the existence of the British Raj continues to this very day. Mm-hmm. They didn't they didn't lose. They had to pull out. It's a different thing. I mean, it's you know, it's the same thing that uh, we did with Afghanistan. I, there comes a point where you have to acknowledge that what happened was evil mm-hmm. and you can't mince words about what happened. You can't say, well, you know, there were extenuating circumstances and there were these trade routes and y- you can't gussy it up with historicity. You have to look at it in the face and like what the British empire did was bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, and we know, which isn't to let us off the hook. And, and so does, is the moral question answered by the, the violence against them? Then it's just there because it's justified. It's okay for it to be, Cooler well, without consequence. And I, th- I think the real question is, where does Mahatma Gandhi like sit in this? Like, you know, let's oh, he's use... not in this movie. Exactly. That's exactly where he's. Yeah. And that's that's maybe the question to ask, because what little the, the rest of the world is able to pull off the top of their dome about Indian history is going to involve Gandhi. Mm-hmm. And I think to talk about him as a, you know, a head of state, as a civil rights leader in that country, you know, is is interesting in the context of RRR because there are no gestures towards nonviolence made in this film at all. It, it is assumed that the only tool to fight empire is the, the weapons of empire. Um, and yet there is a moment where Raju has to admit, I thought what I needed was a gun for everyone, but beam was able to inspire people with his actions mm-hmm. by just being noble, by being a good person. He's able to do what I thought I needed guns to accomplish. And I think that there, at the very least there's a gesture towards the tools of empire are not the only thing you need to fight empire, Mm -hmm. but it it is very realistic about what empire does to people and what you have to be willing to do to stand up to empire. And sometimes that involves the weapons of the empire. Now, again, history shows us that what was ultimately the most successful in getting the British out of India was a, a campaign of, you know, Nonviolent uh, resistance. Nonviolent yeah. resistance, exactly. Yeah. So that complicates things. Um, but is it a more complicated propaganda than what we make? I think so. I think at the very least it's more, again, the, maybe it's in a three-hour movie, do we need more than Raju saying, ah, man, look at how inspirational Beam is. Do we need more than that? I don't think so because it's an action drama. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think I think paying lip service to the idea is more than the film had to do. Right. But I, I do, I do get what you're saying. Like, is there a, an ethical question that comes up? And I would say it depends, you know, there, we talked a little bit off air about sort of the Hindu nationalism that is involved in like the current strain of conservatism in India. That's about all I know about the topic is that that's, you what know, that is, yeah. The, the Hindu nationalism is, is kind of at the center of, of conservatism in India right now. Correct. And we have a little bit of that flavor within the text. There are people who know more about India that are talking about RRR right now, and you can go seek that out. If you want like a tiny primer on it. And uh, we mentioned like how big Indian cinema is earlier. Uh, Patrick Willems wrote a video about RRR with uh, Siddhanta Lanka, who's a really great Indian film critic. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's uh, a whole section in the video of like, here's a great like primer on like both independent, you know, art house Indian cinema and like big budget Indian cinema. They kind of cover like a lot. So you can go watch that video and 
kind of start building your intro to Indian cinema syllabus. But they also do talk about like the propaganda element of this film, just to acknowledge that it's there and that people are writing about it and talking about it. And I think you absolutely need to look at that, but especially when it's a country, when it's a national cinema that is not your own, I, I think, uh, it's it's harder to be critical of those kind of things. It's a little people in glass houses. That sure, sort of sure, thing. yeah, you know no, I mean? absolutely. Well, I, I'm asking the question of cinema in general. We're just sure. we have this particular text in front of us. Mm-hmm. So my, my my question in general is when you're playing mm. um, different registers of violence between different sets of violent acts, and whenever you're using the idea of violence as as ballet mm-hmm. and as mm. fun and as I mean, John Wick could just as easily be this conversation. Sure. Um, which is uh, got less of that sort of well, that's a different thing. It's a, just a different thing, um, and we have to frame it in the ways in which the film allows us to frame it. But this movie is framing itself within this sort of particular kind of um, revolution and uh, this particular historical moment. And again, I just I, I wonder a little bit about you know those ways in which uh, violence itself, when it is valorized to this extent, mm. and does it then justify those who are already violent? Yeah, does you know it does saying. it encourage an, uh, a continued violence? Uh, maybe, Which has been the case right now against Sikhs and Muslims living yeah. in India right uh, now. Especially when you're waving the Indian flag right before the the title splash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's it's definitely something to consider. You know, I, I think that it's a problem in cinema in general. I mean, we talk about violence within movies uh, all the time on this show. Uh, we've looked at it in a lot of different contexts. Um, I still come down on the side of the, the film mostly like working. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't I don't think it's done anything immoral, but I think what what you've brought to the table is is a something that has to be engaged with anytime we're talking about anti-real violence. And I, and I, sometimes I wonder if the moral morality the uh, the moral aspect to doing something it could be this sort of ambiguous morality is that it simply raises the question. I don't know to what extent it does, but does the movie, by using the violence in the way that it does, does it make the audience question it? I, I mean, I know I do, but I don't know if that's a general sort of response or not to this kind of movie. And I, th- these are the kind of things I wonder about, you know, sort of reception theory. Wow. I think the general response is, wow, cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I'm, I know we'll be talking in two weeks about Top Gun Maverick. And that's sort of the thing that I've been thinking about this entire time we've been talking because that's also a film that's propaganda mm-hmm. and is a film that is technically less violent than RRR, mm-hmm. right? By definition. By yes. definition. Yeah. Nobody gets a leopard thrown at them in Top Gun Maverick. Unfortunately. Man, that would, I would love that scene, man. I agree. <laughs> the question, I guess, is what do we call violence, right? Because the existence of the F-35 is an act of violence. Correct. It is an act of imperialism that it even was built. The extractive wealth had had to, the wealth extraction that had to occur for the United States of America to have the bottomless military budget it has to pump billions of dollars into the F twenty two and the F thirty five planes that don't work very well. Uh, well, the F twenty two especially. Yeah. Uh, that, that, but, yeah, we're pumping money into things that don't work. Right. And how is making a commercial for naval flight school any less violent than saying, you know, it sucked shit when the British Raj was here. And uh, it was really cool that people stood up to them and yeah. gave them a taste of their own medicine. Um, I don't know. I, I think there is. It's intellectually dishonest to pacifism to not say that some violence is more justified or to mm. to say that some violence is different than the violence of the state. Sure. Right. Absolutely. And, but but my my question, I guess, then is is what does a twenty first century Indian or American, or, I mean, mm-hmm. Senegalese person do, watching a movie like this, how does that, you know, sort of conversation of violence, how how does how does cool violence like this manage to find its way into uh, the, the bones of the viewer and um, sort of begins to help them react to their own sort of, you know, interaction with the possibilities of violence in their own moment? Interesting. Okay, see, that's... that i hadn't realized you were trying to walk up to i don't know i think plenty of studies have been done to show that media violence is not necessarily precipitate real violence right i'm thinking more about political violence specifically yeah specifically political violence yeah Yeah, i'm thinking about a QAnon person watching a movie like this sure um yeah 
different contexts, it's it's hard to say how any person is going to internalize any movie, right? Mm-hmm, it's right. it's part of the question of movie violence in general. It, it, it just makes more creative violent people is, is what Scream would say, right? <laughs> right, right. And that the lesson that Scream gave us. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, Thank you, Wes. Hey, and uh, Kevin Williamson, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Justin has brought an interesting question to the table, and I don't think it's one we're going to solve today. No. Uh, but it, it's hard to know, like, how to engage with violence sometimes, right? We, uh, Arthur, before you got here, Dustin, Arthur and I were recording a garbage shoot on women talking. Mm. And uh, Claire Foy uh, in that movie is part of her motivation. Ready to go. She's ready to do it. Yeah. And that's part of her motivation as a character is I, if I stay here, I am going to kill someone. Mm. So I have to leave to allow myself to even begin to have the possibility of forgiveness. Mm. Uh, and, and so like the question of visiting violence with more violence versus moving on with your life and trying to let go of the things that violence has done to you. I mean, th- these are the questions that drive human history, right? I, right. That's why we can't solve it today is because like the question of how do you rectify the crimes of empire is mm-hmm. something we've literally never figured out. Well, and the fact that there has been no real restitution, there is no reparations, you know, historically, empires have never, ever uh, really done what needed to be done in order to uh, set things to rights and to really sort of recognize. There there are sometimes gestures towards that kind of thing. Uh, But for the most part, when it comes to the empire specifically, they don't so much. So, for instance, uh, there's an example of a gesture that I think is really useful and meaningful, but it's not the empire itself. In Australia, they have Sorry Day. Uh, which is yeah. fascinating, and this idea of of a day that is a, a cel- you know just we did the indigenous people wrong and we wish we hadn't, you know. But that's the Australian government, which is a separate government from its Commonwealth, but it's not part is you know is no longer part of the uh, the crown any longer. Yeah, and so you don't really see the same kind of level of well, you see no truth and reconciliation. That's the problem. And that, and I think that's what sort of keeps that foment of violence brewing is the lack of restitution and real repentance. You know, mm-hmm. to use a theological word, but I think it's applicable here. I'm. It's interesting that like Beam is presented as this sort of force of nature. Mm-hmm. I think right, like the the contrast between like the people who live close to nature and live with nature versus like the extractive power of, of empire and mm-hmm. imperialism is, is not something they do a ton with in this movie, but I don't know, as, as we've been talking about violence, that's something that I've sort of been thinking about as yeah. like, well, he unleashes a maelstrom of beasts. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He, he brings the jungle to, to the footsteps of the Raj and says, okay, welcome to India, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I will now throw a Bengal tiger at yeah. your face. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it rules, but I, I don't know that there's a there there, but it just kind of fits in with this. Like, I don't know this, right. They're, they're the fire and the watcher is mm-hmm. what is what they're called. Mm-hmm. Uh, Beam and Raju. Uh, and so it's interesting that they're like presented as these elemental figures, mm-hmm. uh, that, that sort of like, I don't know. I am. I will be thinking about the use of violence in this movie for uh, months to come because mm-hmm. I, this movie kind of like shot its way into my top ten, um, and by top ten I mean top five. I think this movie rules uh, by operating at at that level of you know an exciting revenge fiction, mm-hmm. but also as you know an exciting dance film, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. as a, a a kind of moving story about uh, found brotherhood. Uh, I don't know. There's a lot here other than the violence, but it does, especially with, you know, political violence becoming more common globally. Uh, you're, you're right to question, like, how do we proceed? Yeah. Well, then that's the thing is like uh, this movie made in the 50s is one movie. This movie made in the 2020s may be a different kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just I, I'm, it makes me wonder about what what its ideal ideological sort of components are. I don't really know because I'm not familiar enough with it, but it's enough for me to go, oh, I got questions about that. I do also love that the, we'll move on to another topic here just for a second. Talk about something we know nothing about. Shall we talk about things we don't know anything about? I do it been. every day. We do, I mean, that, that's, thank you, Arthur. We um, have been. <laughs> I, am, uh, I am told that this movie is very, very mythological. 
and that there are ways in which uh, that, that jungle connection stuff with Beam and then um, the particular uh, iconography of the dress of Raju at the end are all sort of part, and what they do with Sita as well uh, connects to uh, one of these sort of major deities in uh, Hindu mythology. I don't understand any of it. I don't know what it, any of it means, but I think just knowing that that is a thing is cool. I don't know if there's anything more we want to say about it. Other well, he than, kind of picks up like Mjolnir at the end and becomes like Thor. Mm-hmm. Not, I mean, no, you, just that same. He gets the bow, he gets the arrows and the dress, and then he's a superhero or god. Yeah, or a I, demigod. It I would be know. like if they did a Battle of Valley Forge movie where George Washington picked up a lightsaber. Right. I mean, it is it is sort of like taking the national figure and elevating de- deifying them. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is a problem. I think if we're going to talk about what's a problem in the movie, more than the violence, it's the idea of deifying uh, uh, somebody who has a political station, regardless mm-hmm. of when, where, or what. Uh, I, I think uh, de- deifying uh, anybody's not a good call, usually. So I think that's that's something that I think is maybe more of an issue than the violence itself. You mean like photoshopping a president's head onto the body of Sylvester Stallone? That yeah, might be an example, correct? Well, or one might consider uh, drawing them atop a polar bear and wielding machine guns. Yeah. <laughs> you guys were very creative in the ones you just made up just now. Off That's the top that, of my head. That was great. I, I'm really impressed. Thanks. Yeah, yeah just off the dome. But um, I, I do think the fact that it's got the layers, it's got this sort of Campbellian kind of thing, which I think is fun. But mm-hmm. as, you, as you point out, then the fact that we are talking about historical figures that we're using this for. That is where it becomes less symbology, uh, symbology, less allegory, and moves right into the realm of ideology in a way that is... I mean, we get some of that. Like, Abe Lincoln Vampire Hunter, right? I mean, is that... That's true. We get some of that. Yeah, we That's do have fun. a taste of it. Pretty fun movie. Yeah. Uh, as I recall, I've only seen it the one time. My mom liked it. Yeah. I. He does More ax- than Lincoln. He does ask More, more than Lincoln. <laughs> What a double feature. What a double feature. <laughs> oh, man. All right, friends. Well, I think let's pull this train on into the station. Let's render a verdict on our, our, our shelf or trash. I go to you first. Arthur, what do you say? Yeah, put that on the shelf. All right. It's a I'm, fun time. I'm going to say shelf because it's fun, too. And I'm going to give the last word to the picker of the film. What do you say, Dalton? Raju rides atop Beam's shoulders and fires uh, rifles until he doesn't need them to work anymore. That's how many bullets Raju has. As many as it takes. <laughs> I love this movie. Five stars. <laughs> Five stars. All right, dear listener. Those are our thoughts on RRR. We are very, very dumb. Tell us so. Uh, and you can do that via social media. Dalton will tell you how. Yeah, if you actually know something about Indian cinema or Indian <laughs> politics or Indian culture. Or anything in general. Or anything at all. Uh, please clue us in. Uh, we would we would love to know more than we currently do. That's goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com if you are uh, dying to let us know. Uh, one more time, that is goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com for that long-form feedback. You can also find us on social media at goodtrashmedia on Twitter. Uh, and last but certainly not least, if you want to help support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash GTM, help us pay our web hosting fees, help us stay ad-free, etc., uh, we are going to continue our exploration of 2022 in film uh, with Arthur's blind spot next week. I I have been dying to know what you were going to pick. You've been tight-lipped about it. Because yeah, I didn't know what I was going to pick for a while, because I'd seen a lot. I've, 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 I've racked up some pretty good numbers yeah, this year. Yeah, you've done really well this year. Yeah. I'm, I'm do you, do you know what you're, uh, vaguely what you're at? I'm at 77. Damn, nice. Okay. Yeah, so I've, I've put up numbers. Uh, so it's like, man, why do I... Because I've seen a lot of what I've already wanted to see. Uh, but there was one movie I missed that at one point was my most anticipated movie of the year. Uh, and I missed seeing it in theaters. But next week, I don't want you to worry. I don't want you to freak out. In fact, don't worry, darling. Oh, okay. Ah, yeah, baby. That's right. It's Harry Styles. It's Florence Pugh. It's Chris Pine. It's everybody uh, that, that you can imagine. Nick Kroll's there. Wow. Uh, Gemma. Yeah. Uh, can't think of her last name. Is it Jim Chan? Chan. I don't remember. I'm thinking, anyway. Uh, wow. I promise not to spit on either of you uh, when we talk Please about don't. Don't Worry Darling. Uh, Please don't do it. I won't. I won't do it. I, and then I won't proceed to like go to a stage of event <laughs> and then brag about doing it. Well, I'm going to ignore the press, uh, the press tour. Yeah, you're just going to refuse gonna to go do it. I'm not going to go because yeah. I heard you two were uh, cahootling on the uh, set uh, without telling me about it, so... Canoodling. Canoodling. 
well, I'm going to fire Dustin. Uh, or, well, when Dustin finally quits, I'm going to say I fired him and uh, talk a lot of shit. I'm here for it. I am so excited to talk about this movie. Uh, the one movie this year where all of the drama happened off screen and none of it on. Interesting. Wow. I didn't know this was that this had been one of your most anticipated films of the year. Did you see those trailers? They were pretty good. They looked good. And I love And uh, watching McCool it was such a good movie. Book Smart. Yeah. yeah. Great. I love Book Smart. Hyped. That was way up on my list the year it came out. It was like a black swan meets Stepford Wives trailer. Yeah, it seemed promising. Uh oh, what a movie. We'll talk about what happened that next. That didn't week. happen, I guess. I can't believe how how long was that in theaters? Like a week? I felt like it. Yeah, <laughs> I felt like that hit Talk HBO about immediately. Flop. Boy, will we? <laughs> well, that's right. That's exactly what's going to happen. So you keep watching, and we'll keep talking. We'll see you all next time.